My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The people were filled with expectation, and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I am baptizing you with water. But one mightier than I is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. After all the people had been baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the many challenges that social media presents is it's so easy to get into drawn into debates that are ultimately pointless, counterproductive, and often result in people being far less social with one another in any sense of the word. That's a challenge I recognize for myself as a 48-year-old priest of 22 years, and which I really worry about for those who are far younger, whether it's people of college age that I work with or my nieces and cousins who are even younger on how to deal with all this. Because personally, it's taken some time for me to get better at dealing with social media. Whether it's through different filters and such to avoid individuals who seem simply to want to start arguments or being a bit more selective about something before I post it myself or a little more reflective before responding to somebody else. All that was put to the test the other day. Someone I've known since I was in high school who Facebook would characterize as a friend, but in fairness, I haven't seen them or interacted with them, well, since high school, posted something that ended up on my feed and it caught my attention for good reason. They wrote, where do I turn in my Catholic membership? Obviously, that was provocative enough for me to stop scrolling and to see what was going on here. Attached was an article from CBS News that took a few sentences from a recent homily that Pope Francis made where he was encouraging couples to be open to life, to have children, and pointed out that too many people were using pets as substitutes for children. Now, I could appreciate that the topic of family life and having children could be very challenging and difficult for many couples and that people are very protective and sensitive about their pets. I don't have a dog, although I've come very, very, very close adopting a few times, and I shed more than a few tears when my brother's dog died a few years ago. So I get that. But just seeing this post and the complete agreement of every one of the comments that grew angrier and more vulgar was somewhat shocking. It's not so much about the Pope's homily. It's not about whether someone agrees with the Pope on every topic or 
how he expresses himself, or even if they personally like him or not. As Catholics, we're called to have an openness of mind and heart when the Pope says something, and we are to offer our love and our respect for him as the Holy Father, but that doesn't mean we have to blindly fall into line or even agree with every single thing he says and does when he's speaking in manners not related to faith or morals. In this particular example, I would hope people would be open to hearing the importance of what he was saying in terms of the need to recapture a better understanding of family life and the importance of children and the hardness of heart in our world that has accepted ignoring children who are in need, whether it's struggling in poverty or awaiting foster parents or adoptive parents, all the way to the atrocity of the legalized destruction of human life with abortion while at the same time seeing some of the excesses that some go to in taking care of pets. There's a whole host of issues and topics that need to be thought about and prayed about and discussed about in sober and much deeper terms in a more reflective way that can ever be done on a Facebook post and thread. So it's not to minimize any of those things. But my concern wasn't about that particular homily or all of those important topics. The thing that I couldn't shake was someone saying, where do I turn in my Catholic membership? The casualness of making such a public declaration. Now, granted, social media posts don't provide nuance to, well, anything. And had it been just people debating about the one particular homily and how it was being characterized and reported by one news source, I probably would have forgotten about it just as quickly as a whole list of other Catholic debates that I see online or that people try to suck me into all the time. Because simply, life is way too short. And faith is too important to allow the devil to continue to divide and distract us from one another and most importantly from Jesus which is why that post bothered me so much and has me concerned for this person from my past and all those agreeing with them, because it seems that they've allowed that to happen. Because what does our Catholic membership really mean? That's something we're called to focus on with today's feast in these scriptures. Today we celebrate what many consider the official end of the Christmas season. Since December 25th, Catholics have been celebrating the Word becoming flesh, our eternal God entering into his creation as one of us, humbling himself to be born into a very humble, very human family so that eventually we could be welcomed back into the family he created for himself. This gospel and this feast of the baptism of the Lord, though, could be somewhat confusing for a lot of people. Because we have to remember that the baptism being described here in the gospel wasn't the sacrament we received when we entered into the church. This was John the Baptist's baptism of repentance. It was John's way of preparing the people to meet God, to recognize how he had come among them and was hidden right there in the midst of them. The people knew all too well that their world their nation, their families, their very lives were far from perfect. All was not right with the world or within themselves. 
things were a mess. So much so that for many of them, it was hard to imagine that God still even cared about them or noticed them, let alone that he would come and was among them. So John the Baptist is there telling them, calling them out on all that wasn't right in the world, not to make them feel bad or to assign blame, but rather to remind them that the only thing that each person ultimately has responsibility for, the primary place that we can affect change is within ourselves, by repenting of our sins, by living differently. It's true, there were many who rejected John, especially those who liked the status quo, who had gotten comfortable with the dysfunction and the brokenness of the world and found a way to make it work for them. Yeah, they tried to ignore John and would eventually behead him for these proclamations. But for many others who heard these prophetic words of John, the gospel describes it beautifully. They were filled with expectation. People were anticipating something that would fulfill their deepest hopes and dreams. These people were awaiting God's promises first uttered by the prophet Isaiah that we heard in that first reading, to be realized. The valleys being filled in, the mountains and hills being made low. Or in other ways, speaking to that human desire in the human heart that longs for the valleys of disappointment and discouragement and fear to be filled in. For the mountains in our lives of selfishness and self-centeredness from our sins which all obscure God from our lives to be leveled. At this pivotal moment, as the people are responding to the preaching of John the Baptist, who's calling them to this repentance, who's inviting them into this difficult but essential work of changing their lives, to be bold and courageous and step into these waters and to come out committed to doing these things, an amazing An unexpected and an utterly awesome thing happens. Jesus joins these crowds. He walks with them. He sees and hears their desire for God and their resolve to try to change their lives, their hope that God would fulfill these ancient promises. And in all humility, in his love for humanity, he steps into waters he doesn't need to step into. He receives a baptism of repentance he doesn't need, simply to show how he as Christ and Lord, how he as King of the Jews, how he as the God who saves will save. Not demanding servitude, revealing himself as a God who is master and we are just his servants not spying on us, waiting for us to screw up so he can cast us into hell, but rather Jesus comes and meets us in our brokenness, in our recognition of the mess of our lives as a brother who loves us, who will do anything for us, who will lay down his life for us. Why? Because of what St. Paul told us in that second reading not because of any righteous deeds we had done, but because of his mercy. Yes, because of that extravagant, undeserved gift of amazing love, his mercy. 
And as he does this, God the Father can't hold back anymore. He can't contain his excitement. As Jesus is there with these people in these waters of repentance, the Father's voice is heard crying out, You are my beloved Son. With you, I'm well pleased. Beloved sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father in whom he's well pleased. That's what each and every one of us has become in our baptism. That's what's at the heart of our Catholic membership, an identity which has eternal implications, which should never be diminished or forgotten or treated carelessly. Sadly, for too many, we have it backwards. We're filled with expectations too, but they're born of the things of this world, some good, Many not so. That lead us to think that my feelings, my desires, my wants all need to be addressed according to my plans. And that puts us on this bizarre, vicious cycle that never comes close to bringing me the joy that comes from hearing my Heavenly Father calling me his beloved son or daughter in whom he's well pleased. But here's the amazing thing. Even when we forget that, He doesn't. Jesus shows us in this gospel, he's not scandalized by the sins that need to be forgiven. Jesus never looks at the crowds with disgust for the messes they had in their lives. The moment that someone is ready to humble themselves and acknowledge, I don't have all the answers. I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. Jesus gets in line with them whether it's like in the gospel with John's baptism or in our day and age when people are waiting online to go to confession for the sacrament of reconciliation, raising the dignity of what they were doing, telling them far from being failures in their willingness to acknowledge their messes and their desires to turn away from them, the prospect that they too can become God's beloved sons and daughters is right there in their reach.